Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Serena. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedy seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're continuing our wedding series with a trip back to the 1980s. We'll talk about 80s nostalgia and which music and fashion we'd keep from that decade. We'll look at weddings from the perspective of people who work at them. And we'll talk about the careers of Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore as we discuss their 1998 hit movie, The Wedding Singer. Serena. Hey. <laughs> so uh, what's going on with you these days as we move into the spring and summer? Um, I'm just working. I'm I'm planning a big trip to Peru in June. So oh, wow. that's kind of like consuming my my off time trying to get everything booked and like taken care of. Um, yeah, work is just kicking my ass lately. Just a lot of like new crew and uh, I don't know. I have a stressful job. Is it the busy season for you right now? Or um, it's just coming down off of the busy season, so that might be probably like what it is. And to be honest, now there really, there really isn't any huge difference now between our seasons. We used to be very seasonal here in the Caribbean, but now I feel like it just we're just running year round. For people who haven't listened before, Serena works on boats and like what you're mainly driving the boat lately of being the captain. Yeah, yeah, I'm the captain now. I'm a captain on a, a tour boat that does a sea turtle snorkel and then we do like a dinner sail and a sunset sail. It's a pretty big boat. It holds up to 80 people. So it's just it's a lot of people to, to deal with. And I have two to three crew members that are on that like I'm in charge of. So, yeah, it can be it can be a stressful day. <laughs> that, that does sound like a lot. So sort of trying to relate this to our theme today and for this series, like, have you ever dealt with like wedding parties on a boat? If you have, oh, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. People will rent out the boat. Um, Cause you can, you can do a private charter so you can rent out the whole boat. Um, we've had engagements, we've had weddings, we've had people actually getting married on the boat itself. St. Thomas and the Virgin Islands, probably the Caribbean, is a huge wedding destination. So, mm. yeah, I, I see and, and around weddings all the time. So the, one of the questions I wanted to ask before we started today is our movie this week is The Wedding Singer. And I wanted to know, have you ever seen a wedding singer, a wedding band when you were at a wedding? You know, to be honest, like weddings that like I've attended that were like my friends or family I really haven't been to that many for some reason either I avoid them or <laughs> or there are people I know just like don't really get married but I have been to a few there is actually a good friend of ours here is a a pan player do you know what the steel pan is do you know what that instrument is um I think so but yeah you can it, tell it's me more of it's more of a Caribbean like Calypso a steel pan drum mm -hmm. and he is very famous. He's like played at the Super Bowl and he does weddings a lot. He's so good. You know, he does the thing where he like talks to people and like kind of interacts. He sings, plays pan and also gives that kind of like Caribbean Calypso vibe that 
people really want hmm. um, at their wedding when they come down here. Yeah, he's amazing. And um, he makes insane money doing it, like thousands of dollars per wedding. So you've seen him perform at some. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, he went to. He was at my friend's wedding, and yeah, I guess that was the only place I really saw him perform. But yeah. And so, other weddings you've been to, like, what has been like the entertainment, like DJs or like? Yeah, mostly DJs. Actually, just recently, I have a good friend. Um, I'm going. I am going to his wedding. It's going to be in Hawaii in November, and he was just talking to me about hiring their band, and so we were kind of like listening to it and. They're so his wedding's gonna be on the big island. So they're flying the entire band over from Honolulu to the big island, putting them up during the wedding, and then they're gonna kind of participate during the wedding. And um, I mean, he won't mind me saying this. It's costing them like seven thousand dollars to have all of that just to have a, a pretty decent wedding band. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, well, I, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about later in the podcast about some things I read about this too, about wedding singers, what they actually make. But yeah, yeah. we're starting getting into it already. Like it's it's a little bit a far cry from the situation in the wedding singer. Um, yeah, yeah. Like my own first wedding, I, we had a DJ. We did not have a band. My second wedding, my my husband and I got married at a waterfall. So. <laughs> Aside from singing and reading poems to each other, there was none of that. But in Korea, I was I, I sang a song at a wedding ceremony once. I was not paid for this, and I was not entertaining a reception, but I did once sing My Heart Will Go On at a co-worker's wedding in Korea. I was asked to do this. People were sort of clapping along to it, like out of the rhythm, which was kind of interesting. And I guess it was kind of a fun experience, but I wouldn't recommend hiring me as your wedding singer. Well, why did they choose My Heart Will Go On? Um, originally, they were going to have me sing Actually Loving You. And I can't remember who sings that song, but it's that really high one. Loving you is easy because you're beautiful. And I was like, vetoed that right out the gate. I'm like, my voice does not go that high. Um, we need to yeah. find something in my range. And so that was the um, compromise choice. And I think it's just probably because Titanic was such a popular movie, like less about the meaning of the words or like what they actually mean in the movie and more just like, this is a popular English song and Oh yeah. And it's about love, you know? Right. Right. So yeah, that was a fun experience, but yeah, I've never seen a wedding band perform that I remember. I think it's always been DJs when I've gone to weddings and I haven't gone to a ton of weddings either. Well, anyway, today we're going to talk about weddings that do have wedding singers and before we get started with today's episode, just a few reminders. As usual on the show, we'll have a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will let you know when the spoiler section begins. We'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com, send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com, and if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And now we're going to listen to part of the trailer for The Wedding Singer. I am going to give you a caveat here, which is that this is one of those trailers that spoils a lot of things about the movie. So we will have a spoiler section, but this trailer does not have a spoiler section. So if you really want to 
see this movie completely unspoiled, I recommend like fast forwarding the podcast about two minutes. But for all the rest of you, it's a pretty fun trailer. So let's play it. Before the internet, before cell phones, before rollerblades, there was a time. Everybody on the dance floor. Very nice, Grandma Molly. When Robbie Hart was the most popular wedding singer around. You stand me right now. Until he got stood up at his own wedding. I woke up this morning and I realized I'm about to marry a wedding singer. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. New Line Cinema presents. Is it true that you're in the middle of a nervous breakdown? Whoopity doo! Adam Sandler. Hey, psycho. Get out of my Van Halen t-shirt before you jinx the band and they break up. And Drew Barrymore. You're the wedding singer. How you doing? I'm Robbie. I'm Julia. In a story about finding love where you least expect it. Uh Uh-oh. What? You like her. No, I don't. This is my fiancé, Glenn. I don't even know your last name. It's Gulia. Julia's last name is going to be Gulia. Julia Gulia. That's funny. Why is that funny? I, I don't know. I just... Now, the girl of his dreams is about to marry Mr. Wrong. That's grade A, top choice meat. Good morning. You can make breakfast for men? Unless he can pull off the performance of a lifetime. He and Glenn just jumped a plane to Vegas. Go get him. All right, all right. Are you thinking of leaving Glenn for the wedding singer? He's more than a lover. What do you think of the jacket? I don't know, man. I would lose that glove. You look nuts. He's more than a legend. You are the worst wedding singer in the world, buddy. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! The Wedding Singer. I said hip hop. I hip it to the hip to the hip hip hop. You don't stop the rock to the bang bang boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the rhythm of the boogie the boogie. So yeah, this trailer, this trailer like took me right back, like even just the yeah, trailer. That, yeah, that was the movie. I was like, wow, <laughs> like I just watched it again. <laughs> yeah, I don't really like it when trailers do that, but I like the energy of this trailer. You know, yeah. I think, and I think the '80s music really, you know, d- helps it right there. Like it was such a natural idea to make a movie with '80s music. I think at that time, yeah. So The Wedding Singer was released February 13th, 1998. It was directed by Frank Karachi and written by Tim Hurley. And it stars Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. So the basic premise of The Wedding Singer, uh, we have Robbie Hart is a wedding singer. He's excited to marry his longtime girlfriend, Linda, but she doesn't show up to the wedding and breaks up with him afterwards. Robbie then goes into a deep depression. He feels unable to continue working at weddings. Uh, And Julia is a waitress who works at the same wedding venue. She tries to cheer Robbie up and they become friends. Julia convinces Robbie to help her organize her own upcoming wedding to her fiance, Glenn. And then the two of them develop an attraction. But will they reveal their feelings before it's too late? Gonna have to watch the movie to find out. That's right. <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting facts about the film. Adam Sandler and the writer Tim Hurley he came up with the idea for the movie together. 
Adam Sandler came up with the concept of a wedding singer who gets left at the altar. And Hurley wanted to write a film that was set in the 80s. So they realized that this was like a natural combination to combine these yeah. ideas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think if you'd been doing 90 songs, I think it would have been totally different. I mean, you could have still done it, but you, w- you would have lost out on a lot of jokes that you get from the 80s setting. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so writer Tim Hurley and director Frank Karachi had both known Adam Sandler since their student days at NYU, and they're both frequent collaborators with him as well. Um, usually, I'd probably we'd probably do their careers too, but we're to save a little time. We're only going to concentrate on Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler today, but they're very integral to Adam Sandler's body of work. Drew Barrymore approached Adam Sandler about working with him on a project, so. In her 2015 book, Sunflower, she has a whole chapter on Adam Sandler, and she refers to him as her cinematic soulmate. She writes, I was convinced at the time we were supposed to pair up. I knew it in my bones. I thought Adam had a goodness that was so unique. I could tell that he possessed something different, and I was so drawn to his light. I wanted to make love stories, but I wanted them to have a certain energy that was about true love and chemistry and timelessness, and I was convinced of us doing something together. So after she approached Adam Sandler, he eventually came to her with the Wedding Singer script, and they ended up making a lot of changes to it to sort of highlight Barrymore's character more. Um, Tim Herlihy, the writer, told Esquire that the greater female presence in The Wedding Singer compared to Adam Sandler's previous movies was because of casting Drew Barrymore. He said, Drew elevated things for us, The scenes with her and Christine Taylor, the scenes with her without Adam, were all great. You look at the first movies and there's not a lot without Adam because we did test screenings and they said, get rid of that scene. But this time with Drew, we were able to do that and have those scenes survive to the movie. Yeah, and I think it makes a big difference. Like I like some of his other work as well, but Mm -hmm. the reason this works as a rom-com for me is that balance. Yeah. Yeah, and Carrie Fisher apparently also came on as a script doctor, and she helped to write the girls' part to make it more balanced. And Judd Apatow also came on and contributed some writing to the movie. The movie cost $18 million to make and ended up grossing $123 million, and apparently it was the first Adam Sandler movie to gross over $100 million. That's kind of surprising, actually. Well, he'd only done the two features like starring him before that, which were Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison. So he's made a lot of plus 100 million films since then. But yeah, that was his first over 100 million. And the soundtrack to the movie was also a huge success. It sold 2 million copies in the U.S., and a second volume was released and sold 500,000 copies. I got to say, they didn't market the second one well enough because I would have bought it if I ever knew it existed. <laughs> yeah. I have the first one. I still have it. Oh, um, really? Yeah, for real. That was like heavy play in my dorm room. We'll talk about that later. But yeah, heavy play in my dorm room. <laughs> and The Wedding Singer was turned into a Broadway musical, which opened in 2006 and also did some touring performances as well. So I want to know, like, when did you first see this movie and your opinion then, your opinion now? When I rewatched it, I rewatched it a few days ago and I realized as I was watching it that this movie had formed some serious 
core memories for me that oh. I didn't even know like where they had come from. And I was like, oh, it's from this movie. It's from this movie. Like I, I, a lot of lines, um, a lot of jokes and things like that. I was like, oh, that's that's all. This is The Wedding Singer. Because I mean, it came out, I was 16, which is kind of a, an impressionable age. And I really loved this movie. Um, I too listened to the soundtrack. I'm a huge 80s music fan. So yeah, it really, there was really something special for me at the time. So you saw it probably in a theater or video or like... Yeah, I was probably working at the movie theater. Yeah. At, least, at least one of them. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure I saw it there. And yeah, I, re- I remember, I want to say I had like a mixtape or something that I like played in my car or something with uh, uh, a lot of the soundtrack. I don't remember actually buying the like CD itself. I think I may have been too poor to buy CDs or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so did you watch it much in the subsequent years or had it been a long time? No. Yeah, no, I really hadn't. Okay. Yeah. For me, I watched it when it first came out. I owned it on DVD. I would probably seen it at least a dozen times since it came out. And yeah, it seems like one of those movies I would watch like every three years or something. And I know so much of the dialogue. It's ridiculous. And Lee also, when we were watching it, like there are certain scenes where we would be both saying the dialogue or both anticipating something that was about to happen. Yeah. So, and there, there are lines in this, which I'll talk about throughout the podcast that I will use in life too. So yeah, but it had been a little while since I'd seen it last. I think it'd probably been about four or five years since I last saw it. And so it was kind of fresh again. I don't think it's one of those movies I can watch like every year and it'll stay fresh. But the yeah. gap really served it well. I was like really into it again. So I'm about to go on this podcast tomorrow um, called The Force 5 Podcast. And I'm going to give my top five rom-coms. And this is one of the ones that's going to like, it's an honorable mention. It didn't make the top five, but it's like definitely in my top 20 rom-coms. Like, if I had really? to say, yeah, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. This is in my top 20. I think it's a really good balance of romance and comedy, which you don't see a lot of rom-coms actually that are actually that funny, to be honest, in my, in my opinion, or if they are funny, they don't have a lot of romance and they're more like kind of like bro rom-coms or something, you know, like, yeah, like, like wedding crashers or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, yeah. So, but I think this one is such a perfect balance of like, comedy and romance man and woman like energy and like the music is fantastic I really think the chemistry between Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore is is amazing in this movie I think in their other movies there's chemistry too but I think this is the peak um yeah and and for me like for both of them for me it's my favorite movie with them so yeah how about you what's your opinion of the film at this point um, right now, I mean, I love it. And I actually brought it up um, at work to my coworkers who are considerably younger than me, and they both had seen it and love it. So I mean, it definitely has stood the test of time, even with people who are in their early 20s now, hmm. um, were very aware of The Wedding Singer. So I thought that was a good sign. Yeah, that's cool. Like some of the movies we covered for the Gen X series, like, I was like, so depressed to find out that people didn't know about them anymore. I was like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> Yeah. So something's endured at least. I guess the power yeah. of Adam Sandler. I yeah, I think it is Adam Sandler cuz people just like will watch his entire catalog and just love him. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of Adam Sandler though, um I actually had seen fewer of his movies than I thought, but like sort of researching about him made me want to see more of them. So Adam Sandler's career started um essentially when he was about age 17. 
He started doing stand-up at 17, and he continued doing it through his time at NYU. Um, His first IMDb credit was in a minor recurring role on The Cosby Show. Then Dennis Miller saw him doing comedy in L.A. and recommended him to Saturday Night Live. And he ended up being a cast member on Saturday Night Live from 1990 to 1995. And that was probably my most, um, that was my era of watching Saturday Night Live. That's the era I remember the best. I mean, a little Mm -hmm. earlier than that too, but like, yeah. And he portrayed a lot of um, recurring characters on Saturday Night Live, including Opera Man and Cajun Man. And he sang a lot of comic songs on the show, including the Hanukkah song, which if you've never listened to the Hanukkah song, you've got to go look that up on YouTube. It's fantastic. So he began after Saturday Night Live, he began getting supporting roles in movies. His first lead feature role, though, was in Billy Madison in 1995. And he also co-wrote that. And he followed that up by writing and starring in Happy Gilmore in 1996. And I think Happy Gilmore for me is my favorite other comedy of Adam Sandler's. I don't know. Oh, yeah, for sure. You as well. Yeah, it was definitely like a staple for my like teens and 20s. And then he's appeared in two more romantic comedies with Drew Barrymore since The Wedding Singer, 51st Dates in 2004 and Blended in 2014. He formed a production company, Happy Madison Productions, in 1999, and he produces a lot of the films he appears in. And then I'm going to just do a small list of his other comedy roles. This is a long list, but it doesn't encapsulate like half of his career, really. He's also done The Waterboy, Big Daddy, Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, Anger Management, The Longest Yard, Click, Grown Ups in its sequel, Just Go With It, The Hotel Transylvania animated movies, Pixels, and Murder Mystery. And he's also done some dramatic work. So he was in Paul Thomas Anderson's Punch Drunk Love in 2002. He was in The Meyerowitz Stories in 2017. And he was in Uncut Gems in 2019. And I'm also a fan of this movie called Funny People that it's a Judd Apatow movie, which is kind of a blend of comedy and drama. He's really good in that. Most recently, he co-wrote and starred in Hubie Halloween. And coming up in 2022, he's starring in a sports movie called Hustle. He also has two movies in post-production, Spaceman and Murder Mystery 2. And it seems like he's doing a lot of work with Netflix these days. Some of the stuff I mentioned, the recent stuff, is for Netflix. I think doing this stuff for Netflix is probably part of what's putting him in front of these younger audiences too. I think he's always been pretty smart about his career. I don't always like love his films, but they do well. Like even the ones that I'm like, eh, about. All right. So moving on to our other star of the movie, Drew Barrymore. She plays Julia. Drew Barrymore is from a famous theatrical Hollywood family, the Barrymores. Her grandfather was actor John Barrymore. Her first role in a TV movie was when she was just three years old. But her huge breakout was in E.T. in 1982 at the young age of seven. Again, another core memory of Drew Barrymore is her in E.T. Yeah. Um, She continued work as a child actor in movies such as Firestarter and Cat's Eye. Her breakout as a teen slash adult actor was in... 1992's Poison Ivy. Other prominent roles before The Wedding Singer included Boys on the Side, Everyone Says I Love You, and of course, Scream. After The Wedding Singer projects included Ever After, A Cinderella Story, Never Been Kissed, Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, Fever Pitch, Music and Lyrics, 
He's Just Not That Into You, Whip It, which she also directed, Going the Distance, Miss You Already, the TV show Santa Clarita Diet, and her other two films with Sandler, 50 First Dates and Blended. Recently, she's she started a talk show in 2020 called The Drew Barrymore Show. She's also been a producer or executive producer on many feature films, starting in 1999 as an executive producer on Never Been Kissed and has a production company called Flower Films. She's currently listed as a director on two upcoming projects, The End and Surrender Dorothy. So she's she's getting into more of the production and direction end, it looks like, um, judging yeah. by her IMDb right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of other notable cast members in this movie. Uh, Christine Taylor plays Holly. You might remember her as Marsha from the Brady Bunch movies. She's also in Dodgeball. She's done more, too. I'm just giving a little, like, things I remember her from. Um, Alexis, Alexis Arquette plays George, and we'll talk more about her later. Alan Covert plays Sammy. Ellen Albertini Dow plays Rosie, the older woman character. And there's appearances by Steve Buscemi, Kevin Nealon, John Lovitz, and a special cameo we're going to save for the spoiler section, because if I'd never seen this movie, I wouldn't want to know about it in advance. So yeah, this this movie's got a great cast, um, some prolific people. But one of the selling points for this movie, because the cast weren't very famous at the time, was the 80s nostalgia element of it. I don't remember there being another 80s nostalgia product out at the time The Wedding Singer came out. I mean, it was a long time ago. Do you remember seeing anything else that utilized 80s nostalgia at that time? Because I don't. I think the 90s, we were like sort of in 70s nostalgia for a long time. I feel like The Wedding Singer, to my memory, was the first time that I felt like a big 80s nostalgia wave come in. We're currently in the midst of another 80s nostalgia wave um, with things like Stranger Things and Cobra Kai. Do you watch any of those? Like, um, I've I've watched all of Stranger Things. I didn't never got into Cobra Kai. Oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of each. Like, I I think actually I'm a little more into Cobra Kai. But we're doing a Stranger Things rewatch right now. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I think they're both strong stories apart from the 80s nostalgia, but I do I do like that. I like that we're remembering the best things that came from the 80s. I know, right? Yeah. It's funny because I'll talk to older people and they're like, yeah, the 80s nostalgia thing. That's not really how like the 80s were, you know, like some of the over the top fashions and things like that, that we seem to like cling on to that were like the pivotal 80s. Yeah, I mean, and like politically it was a pretty dark time um yeah you know but without getting too far into politics like i was a child in the 80s so it's nice to have this nostalgia for the movies and the mtv and the music like that was pivotal to my childhood i can't remember like how old would you have been like in the 80s like how much of the 80s were you um i was born in 82 so i was up until i was like what eight I guess would have been the eighties. So, I mean, I do have some memories of it. Mostly the memories. Yeah. Again, involve music and movies and TV and cartoons, things like that. What, what were the things you were into like as a child in the eighties? Do you remember? Um, I mean the obvious like television shows, I really loved Alf. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a kid, I really loved Alf. I have like this nostalgia for like old reading rainbow, like 1980s reading rainbow that I yeah. keep like going back and like watching. And I was like, God, this was such a good show. You know, how about music wise? 
Like, what 80s artists were you into or were you into at the time when you were a child? I think I was just too young to, like, really, like, quantify, like, who was who until I got older. Okay. And I was like, oh, I really like that. Like, I really – because most of my memories I have are, of like, being, like, in the car, like, with my mom and, like, listening to the radio and, like, what was on the radio or, like, what my mom was listening to at the time. Like, she was a big, like, Steve Winwood fan. So, I mean, there was a lot of, like – that was playing i remember you too a lot was very popular so yeah yeah i was i was pretty cognizant of music when i was young my uncles and aunts were all older than me but not too much older and i'd go over to my grandparents house and we'd watch mtv so i became a madonna fan when i was like six or seven and i was really into madonna during the 80s cindy lopper as well I remember a lot of one hit wonders too, like, or maybe like two hit wonders, but like stuff where we today probably only remember like take on me by aha. I still remember that video really well. Howard Jones's music. I remember like, it will take me right back. So I was really into like a lot of MTV artists, but Madonna, I had a whole wall of my room plastered with her stuff. So yeah. And I'll have nostalgia too, for movies like the Goonies was a big one. Mm The Indiana Jones movies, the first two came out in the 80s, of course, and Star Wars, of course. Like, that's where I think that's where my 80s nostalgia lies. I'm nostalgic about a lot of the music, not as much the fashion, but the music in the movies. Yeah, I agree. I, I love 80s music for whatever reason. I'm not even sure why. Like, again, I think it just has it's it's like part of some kind of core memory system that I have. So it's like kind of like my go to. Like, if I'm like cleaning the house, like I'll put on like Phil Collins radio. Like, I'm like, why am I listening to this? <laughs> but I love it, you know? So let's get into the the movie, The Wedding Singer, before we get lost in a wave of 80s nostalgia. So I want to say that like the opening credits sequence to this movie is one of the most masterfully done opening credits, opening scenes I've ever seen in terms of how much information it gives you while being completely entertaining. Do you agree or disagree? Like, what do you think? Uh, no, I absolutely agree. I, as I was watching this, like, again, I was the... Just the editing in this movie is so good. It's so mm. excellent. And there was such great, the the montage scenes. And then, yeah, the opening to this, the editing of it is so good. Yeah, it gives you the energy of being at a wedding reception. It goes along with the music. It's not too fast. It's just fast enough. Like, yeah. And we're opening at this wedding where Adam Sandler's on stage singing You Spin Me Right Round um, by the band Dead or Alive. And he's a good singer too, Adam Sandler. Like we mentioned before, he sang a lot on Saturday Night Live. Like he's not like you know, he he's not like a like a serious opera singer or like he he probably couldn't make his like money as a recording artist by itself. But he mm-hmm. has a good solid voice. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could probably be a real life wedding singer if he had wanted to. Anyway. Yeah, he's like he sounds like someone that you could like go to karaoke with and he oh, would yeah. like kill it. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's like not only singing, but he's also interacting with the audience. So you're getting a sense of his job. The production design, the costume design are also really great in the opening. We get the 80s clothes and hairstyles. We get colors that are very bright and 80s. Everything is just working together to set the stage right away. So we'll talk more about the fashion later in depth, but I thought that was really working too. And, And it's cutting to a lot of like different typical wedding guests um, I especially always remembered the groomsman who gives the kid a drink on the side. <laughs> oh, really? I do love that scene where he's like, someone put pants on that kid. Like that, that to me is like the wedding singer. Like I always think about that line. 
Yeah, that little baby, the bride's holding a little baby. It doesn't have any <laughs> pants on. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then we get a title card that says Ridgefield Banquet Hall, 1985, just in case you weren't sure where you were already, which you probably were sure. And we the opening sequence then is going to show um, Robbie Hart, the wedding singer, skills, um, not just as a singer, but as kind of a diplomat, because we get Steve Buscemi coming in and his role as the drunk best man. And he gives this like really bitter speech about how his he's the alcoholic screw up of the family. And then he reveals like embarrassing information about his brother who's getting married. And Robbie Hart has to come in to like smooth it all over. He takes the mic and he says, when you fall in love, the emptiness kind of drifts away because you find something to live for each other. And the way I see you two looking into each other's eyes all day long, I can tell that you're going to live for each other for the rest of your lives. And this speech causes the bride and groom to reconcile again and everyone's clapping and even Steve Buscemi's crying in the corner and says, that's a good wedding singer. (laughs) (laughs) I could have had even more Steve Buscemi in this movie. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So after Robbie smoothed this over, he leaves the stage. And I guess this is common practice in a wedding band where you'll turn over vocals to a backup singer. And the backup singer in this movie is really the only other member of the wedding band that we get to like know anything about <laughs> like the other guys, there's just some dudes there otherwise. Right. Like, so George is the backup singer and plays some other instruments. And there's this running gag throughout the movie where George is like basically a boy, George impersonator, you know, boy, George from culture club. And yeah, he can, he can only sing like one song. Do you really want to hurt me? <laughs> right. Which was like the culture club song. Right. I mean, Karma Chameleon is more my jam, but like, oh, you think so? Yeah, for me, there's other, there's definitely other Culture Club songs. So that's I feel, why I feel like that was this. That's the song that, like, if you weren't like a Culture Club fan, you would immediately know that song. I, I think Karma Chameleon was as famous, but I think what why they chose "Do You Really Want to Hurt Me" for this movie is because it's like so inappropriate, especially right now after we just had this bad speech, <laughs> right? And like, so now he's going to yeah. play this really downbeat song and yeah. just be, like, uh-huh. depress everybody. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's a pretty funny running joke that this is like literally the only song this character knows. So, um, yeah. So this character, like, is an interesting case because, like. George is played by like a transgender actress, Alexis Arquette. And when I watched the movie, I did not read the character as transgender. Like for one thing, they're always referred to as George. I don't remember Mm -hmm. hearing any pronouns like during the movie, but like, but I, yep. No, he does. Cause I was listening for it. Yeah. It was, it's the scene. I mean, and we'll get to that scene. It's the scene where he does come out by the dumpster and he's like, he really needs to get a new song. Okay. Um, okay. Adam, and he does say he, I was listening for it. It's, yeah. I think it's the only time. It's the only time. So I'm not sure if like you're really meant to view this character as transgender in the movie. Like, and when I saw the movie, when it came out, I kind of just thought, well, this is like somebody who's obsessed with boy George. Like maybe they're gay, like, you know, like they're gender nonconforming. So that's how I read the character. But I wanted to give some background on Alexis Arquette, who actually played George, before we discuss it more. So Alexis Arquette was a transgender woman, actress, and activist, and sister of actors Rosanna Arquette, Patricia Arquette, David Arquette, and Richmond Arquette. And um, Alexis's gender identification may have been a little bit more complex, like 
For most of her career, she identified as a transgender woman. Um, in the official family death announcement, they use she. But then there are also articles that came out around the time of her death where some people, like her, two of her brothers, and um, some people who knew her well, like friends, said that she was starting to identify more as fluid or maybe even he at times. So, But I'm going to refer to her as she here just because that's what's in the official family death announcement. And that's what she lived as during most of her career. Anyway, Alexis Arquette did pass away from complications from AIDS on September 11th, 2016. But before that, she did have a career in other movies, including Threesome, Bride of Chucky, and Pulp Fiction. And she had a hard time, though, finding roles, partly because of her, you know, gender nonconforming identity and then transgender identity throughout the years. And the family death announcement stated that Alexis never took roles she felt would be harmful to the trans community. So it was very important for her to represent herself well and her community well. And in 2009, um, Alexis told Entertainment Tonight that she came out as transgender in part to raise awareness. She said, coming out as transgender in America from a celebrity family is a lot easier than it can be for private individuals anywhere else in the world. In fact, if you come out as transgender in certain parts of the world, you may be murdered in the street. So it was very important to her to like raise awareness and to, you know, just represent well. The family like clearly was like just loved Alexis. And in their death announcement, they said um, that she was like an inspiration to them and taught them so much. And they said in the days leading to her death, she told us she was already visiting the other side and that where she was going, there was only one gender that on the other side, we are free from all of the things that separate us in this life and that we are all one. She passed away surrounded by love. We held her and sang her David Bowie's Starman as she punched through the veil to the other side. I just wanted to include that because I thought it was really beautiful and, and just tell us a little bit more about, you know, what was important to her. So this portrayal of George, like, is probably what was she was most well known for. It was like in all of her obituaries, basically, like at the top of it. And Boy George also admired this performance and paid homage to Arquette near her death by dedicating Do You Really Want to Hurt Me to Arquette and her family at a concert. And Boy George said, when I went to the wedding singer, I didn't know what was going to happen. When I saw Alexis doing an impersonation of me, I was rolling around on the floor laughing. And I think, yeah, it is such a great performance in this movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that tells you a little bit about Alexis Arquette's life. Now, watching the movie now it's much easier to maybe read the character as transgender, especially knowing a transgender actress played her. But like, how did you read the character then and now? And like, what do you think of this performance? I don't know what I thought of at the time. I was aware of being transgender. I do remember that there was someone I went to school with that was transitioning or in the process of. So I was aware of like what that was. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I looking at it now, I was I was curious to see I'm like, okay, how well did this age? And I thought all things considering it aged very well. Yeah, I feel like some of the jokes in the movie definitely seem like they're at George's expense, but at the same time George is like to me one of the most charming characters in the movie and you feel like like Robbie Hart 
and the band support George and Robbie Hart's friends support George. Like there's yeah, because yeah. because he it seems like he's definitely like part of the community. Like in all of the scenes, you know, you see him like at the wedding of of Robbie, like crying, you know, and you see you see scenes with him in it, and he's friends with everyone they're friends with. So he's like, it's not like he's ostracized. It's not like or she. It's not like she's ostracized, or it's not like they're you know not a part of this friend group. And I thought that that was great especially at the time you know what i mean it was just like oh this is just our friend and this is you know yeah and like and like i said i'm not sure if the character is supposed to be read is the character is supposed to be read as transgender or not you know yeah i'm not sure either and maybe that's just left up to interpretation of which is fine really to have yeah because i think somebody who's a gender non-conforming gay male would would um deal with a lot of the same you know discrimination that a trans woman would deal with like performing on stage in the 1980s like both both of those people are going to have people looking at them strange or booing them if they sing do you really want to hurt me twice in a row i think actually <laughs> most people would be booed if they sang do you really want to hurt me twice in a row but yeah but i mean boy george was quite a you know controversial figure i think when he yeah, came out for with sure. culture mm-hmm. club um mm-hmm. we were dealing with a lot of like you know gender presentation like issues like at that time and i'm not even sure how does how does boy george identify oh, I mean- george Boy George, like, Boy. I'm going to check just in case, but I'm almost 100% sure just man. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem like Boy George identifies as trans in any way. No. So, yeah. yeah so there but was definitely, a- but definitely gender bending for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. 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 But like, yeah, those two things both exist. And I think there was a lot of gender bending going on in the 80s with Boy George, with Prince, with Madonna at times actually wearing suits and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was a. That so th- so when I see a movie also in the context of the eighties, my mind goes to gender bending e- very easily. It doesn't necessarily assume transgender identification if there's gender bending going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was like yeah, that was just such a part of the culture. But um, yeah, like so one thing like some of the jokes like read very differently if you depending on how you see George's character. Like if you see as him as just a boy George impersonator or gender nonconforming. Like they seem a little less possibly spirited. See, you you keep saying like boy George impersonator, which I I feel like that takes away from the character because that character is always dressed like that. Oh, I know. All in all other settings, but for the but for the performance, it's like almost like a cosplay. I'm saying. Oh, like when he's like singing when she's singing. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I but I th- I think like yeah like just naming the character George too it's like yeah that's yeah, true it's like that's really true. driving that home yeah but some of the jokes like the wedding guests being confused by George's appearance and Steve Buscemi's being really drunk and saying oh I like her like it's a joke that like only this drunk guy is going to see George as a woman like if you see George as like just gender nonconforming it reads one way if you see George as transgender it maybe seems a little more mean I don't know possibly but. At the same time, Alexis Arquette also chose this part. I mean, granted, transgender people didn't necessarily well, have a ton I of mean, parts to choose from, but you can also you can also argue of it being awareness because, like you said, this this that is what that person's life would have been like at that time. Yeah, if they were up on stage, people would have been like, "Woof, what is happening? What is going on?" You know what I mean? Yeah, and they would have gone through that sort of criticism and questioning 
but I don't know. I I feel like it's very it's authentic. Yeah. Without without being too mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference is that you see George interacting with Robbie and Julia and everybody and being friends. Although mm-hmm. I don't think you get a, a lot of like you don't get a lot of agency or lines from George outside of those performances though, which would have been would have been a little nicer, but yeah. True. The movie is about what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's not really about George's journey as much as it's about you know, the main couple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's some really funny bits though later with George and them that we'll also talk about. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think the movie, the movie is like 30% better because of Alexis Arquette's presence. I feel like, I don't know. Right, for sure. Okay. So back, back into the plot of the movie. After we've met Robbie's band, we're now going to meet Julia. So we meet Julia through the eyes of Robbie's friend, Sammy, who also works at the weddings and he wants to hook up with her. We see her from a distance, Drew Barrymore. And he, Sammy says, she's going to get it and she doesn't even know it. And I'm going to give it to her. <laughs> this is a pretty sleazy line, but Sammy's usually pretty harmless in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we then see Julia with her cousin, Holly, who apparently got her the job. They're both like kind of waitressing at these weddings. And Julia is talking about how she's worried that her fiance, Glenn, won't set a wedding date. Then we cut to Robbie is helping the kid. The kid that the guy was giving alcohol to is now drunk. And Robbie's helping him vomit out back of the wedding banquet hall. And after he helps his kid vomit, Julia comes out onto the back steps and says that she's going to be waitressing at Robbie's wedding next week. And then confides her problems with Glenn to Robbie. And I feel like they had good chemistry like right away in this first scene. They're kind of joking about the drunk kid and everything. For sure. And one of the things that, that I noticed this time watching the movie that makes this a lot different than other other romantic comedies is that these are all working class people, you know, aside from like Glenn. These are all people who like do service industry jobs for a living. Um, they work those kind of hours. And I, I, I think it's refreshing because so many romantic comedies are like this person's an ad executive or a high powered lawyer or a surgeon. <laughs> right. So, so they have like unexplainable amounts of money. You're like, all right, they just they have no worries. No one ever talks about like having to pay their bills, which is what most people have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, it just it made these characters very relatable too. When I was like 21 and watching this movie, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the kind of relationships you have working in the service industry where you get to know this like kind of weird family of workers. And I think a lot of Adam Sandler's movies, he's had these like kind of working class characters too. And I think mm-hmm. that might be part of what sort of made him so popular. Yeah, like his appeal. Yeah. So Robbie's other job that he does, um, well, it's not really much of a job. It's more of a volunteer position. He teaches singing lessons to an old neighbor lady named Rosie who is trying to sing Till There Was You from The Music Man at her 50th anniversary party. And she just tells him she wants her husband to know that she loves him just as much as she did back then. And she's very sweet. And the character is played by Ellen Albertini Dow. She was 84 at the time of the movie. She died in 2015 at the age of 101. And she actually performed in quite a few projects in addition to The Wedding Singer. And, um, She's one of those grandma characters that's like, she's both sweet, but then she says sort of like, quote unquote, inappropriate things, like because we don't expect old women to talk about things like sex. She asks, she asks Robbie if he's nervous about the wedding night. And then she tells him that she had a lot of experience on her wedding night. 
I already had intercourse with eight men. That was a lot back then. That would be like 200 today. Except she's talking in this like very sweet old woman voice. <laughs> I, this, I, this is the first movie where I remember seeing that kind of like naughty grandma character or whatever. Like, And, and I feel like that trope carried on into like other movies. And like even especially with her. Because um, then she did Road Trip kind of shortly after that. Where she played a very similar character. And then there's a part of me that thinks that Betty White later on kind of played into that same sort of trope of like a sweet old lady with like a, a dirty mind, you know, or a, a bad mouth, you know? Yeah. I do remember the actress made the rounds after this. Like she was on all the late night shows. She was on all the talk shows, all the things like that. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. Yeah. Um, and that's mostly because of the part later in the movie, which isn't much of a spoiler where she raps like in the movie, right, exactly. which is also a yep. big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what do you think about this? Like, what do you think about these naughty grandma characters though? Like, why is it that we expect old people to be like, basically like sexless? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know why we expect that because we're obsessed with youth in our culture, I suppose. I don't know. Like, why do women, like old women suddenly become sweet old women? And like, it's weird if they talk about having sex when they were younger. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah. Anyway, the other funny thing about Rosie is that it, apparently she pays Robbie in meatballs. And because she's run out of Tupperware, she gives Robbie meatballs in both of his hands. <laughs> And makes him eat them in front of her, which was kind of a funny gag, I thought. Right. Yes. Yes. Some good comic relief there. Yeah. But it's also very sweet. Like, she's very happy for Robbie to get married and she, you know, supports him a lot. So now we get to Robbie's and Linda's wedding. So Robbie at the beginning of the movie is dating Linda. We don't really see much of her, though. Um, we don't see her at all before this, like, wedding scene, do we? No, we see a picture of her. Yeah. So there's there's a picture of her like as you're entering the wedding. And nor do we see her at the wedding because Linda stands Robbie up at the altar and he finds out from his sister who comes and tells him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, before this happens, there's this like classical music version of Don't Stop Believing playing, which is fantastic. <laughs> what what 80s song like would you what 80s song other than the wedding march would you have played at a wedding if you could um i really love don't dream it's over oh, by crowded house yeah i feel like that in like an instrumental version would be really really lovely yeah that would be lovely you know what i made up this question and now i don't have an answer to it so that sucks <laughs> Maybe time after time. We can go with that. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. wedding. Good wedding feel to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, Robbie's stood up at the altar. He's calm at first. And then he goes into a back tent or whatever, freaks out, is destroying things. And that's when we see George crying and like huge amounts of mascara running. George has got <laughs> right. a really cute outfit on in that one, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, all white, right? Yeah, with like his yeah. hair, this hairband and everything. It looks yeah. really, and a little vest. I think it's really, it's really nice. Yeah. And isn't he sitting next to Rosie? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. He, they're like clutching each other's hands. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. What? Do you, any other thoughts about this scene? Or, um, I really, I really thought it was well done. Like, so the scene where, like, I. 
I don't know. This movie just had such a good way of portraying like small town characters, if that makes sense. So like when his sister comes up and the way she talks to him and, you know, they're like kind of nervous because they're in front of everybody. Like it's such a good scene because they're still trying to like smile. Mm. You know, do you do you remember yeah. that? And they're like kind of like talking through like gritted teeth. And there's like so much um caring in his sister whatever the actress's name is like in her voice like the way they're speaking to each other is so like what i would imagine a sibling relationship like how that would actually go down you know yeah and they're very close and like we find out that robbie actually lives with that sister and her family like i guess in the basement he has a room down there we also find out um through the sister's dialogue that robbie's mom and dad died in the third grade and that Robbie has wanted to get married ever since then. So he has this like kind of loss in his life and he really wants a family. And then Robbie goes out onto the porch and we do meet Linda. She comes up to the house to explain why she didn't show up. And basically she says she liked Robbie when he was younger and she thought that he could be a rock star and he was in a rock band that was maybe going places, but now she doesn't want to be married to a wedding singer. And so it is over between Robbie and Linda. What do you think of Linda? We don't see her very much in this movie. No, but you know, just her like her teased hair. Like I totally remember seeing women with hair like that. She she's kind of a trope as well, you know, like kind of a like a groupie. Like I kind of thought of her as being like Mm -hmm. one of those groupies that would like follow like Skid Row or I don't know, whatever those, those uh, bands were, you know, like the girls that would go to those concerts. And I think that's what they were kind of like alluding to that maybe at some point, like he had, he would have been like a rock star like that if he had like quote unquote made it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like that Skid Row. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So, so this, yeah, and being left at the altar is also a trope. Like we've seen this in so many wedding movies. Usually it happens towards the end of the movie, right? This is like Mm -hmm. a left at the altar at the beginning of the movie uh, turnaround. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was, I tried to get information on how many people are actually left at the altar, but apparently it's really hard to get demographics on this because people aren't really recording how many people are engaged. Usually they're just recording how many people are married. Um, yeah. But so I found a couple sources, though, that gave a little info. So there was a 1990 article from the New York Times. And granted, that's a while ago. It was eight years even before this movie came out. But it, it looked at the number of marriage licenses obtained versus returned, like, you know, all filled out in a few locations. And in New York City, about 5% of marriage licenses were never returned. So the marriage didn't go through. In Seattle, it was around 3% at the time in 1990. And so, you know, a marriage license sort of like is a good indication that people are planning to get married. And then if it's not returned, yeah. something went wrong. And that, and that also like that's, that's I don't think I'm not sure, but I don't think you apply for your marriage license until you're like about to get married. Right. I don't remember. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's probably a good indication, though. Yeah. Because they do expire. I think you're right. So, yeah. And then another more recent source, there was a 2018 article which cites a survey conducted by a diamond company, um, and they said that 20% of engagements were called off before the wedding, according to a survey. So That I do believe. Yeah. I've known so many people who had been engaged and then broke up. Oh, yeah? For sure, yeah. 
why do you think those engagements like failed in the cases that you saw or like I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know what that is. I mean, I think everyone thinks like, oh, if you're like engaged, then that like means you're serious. But I mm. I don't necessarily think that that's like the case. I think you're still have just as much options to break up even if you're engaged or not. You mm. know what I mean? But I like I don't know why, but I've I've known plenty of people who okay. were engaged and then broke up. Yeah, the only two times I've been engaged, I got married. And the first marriage, of course, I was pretty young and we ended up getting divorced two years later. But engaged was like as good as married to me, I guess. I don't know. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think it is natural to have some kind of like ambivalence before you get married. Like even Mm -hmm. with Lee and who I'm 100% love, you know, and like, I'm so glad we're married. But I felt like even a little ambivalence before our marriage, because it is such a big thing. And probably because I had, you know, been divorced previously. I definitely mm-hmm. felt ambivalence before my first marriage. But I think like the the time when I felt the ambivalence was so close to the wedding and it was such a small amount of ambivalence that like I wouldn't have considered like calling it off. But like, I think it probably is natural even for people who are really in love with each other to have that, you know, just a little nervousness about making such a big decision. Yeah. Yeah. So we go to Glenn Gulia actually now and Glenn is Julia's fiance and weddings are not important for him, but I think love is not necessarily important for Glenn either. He's he's viewing this um, relationship with Julia more like a business transaction almost. Later, he says that she's paid her dues, you know, in the relationship, and that's why they're getting married. Um, Glenn mm-hmm. is saying that he wants to elope to Vegas, and Julia initially agrees, but then he says that they can get married there. "Quote: It's more important to you, anyways." So this is our first introduction to Glenn. Okay, so now we get to Robbie's breakdown, which apparently he's been in bed for five days crying, which to me, if you get left by your fiance, that seems reasonable. That doesn't necessarily seem like a breakdown. What do you think? Yeah, no, that seems fine. Normal. Yeah. And Sammy goes and finds Robbie downstairs listening to Boys Don't Cry by The Cure, because of course, depressed people in the 80s will be listening to The Cure. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And Sammy encourages Robbie to go back and start working again. And to work at a wedding again. And so we've got a, a little clip of Robbie's first wedding back singing, which is funnier when you can see the video, but I think it comes out in the audio too. So take a listen. so hard not to laugh during that there's like literally times when i'm listening to madonna's holiday and i'll be like everybody spread the word i live in my sister's basement (laughs) (laughs) 
I love this scene. And I love George is like really in the background being very cheerful the whole time and being very into singing the backup vocals. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this has got to be, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I don't know. How about you? Yeah, no, I like it. It's, it is good. You definitely are feeling like what he's feeling. And then I don't know if you mentioned it, but it it's Sammy that talked him into going yeah. back to work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then she's like, why would he come back to work? And he's like, I don't know. Yeah, no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. And so after this rendition of Holiday, he kind of sits down on the stage and like you're seeing the opposite, like the the dark version of his first scene where he's encouraging and uplifting the wedding, where he's bringing down a whole wedding. (laughs) Right. And he's talking about like, you know, how so many people won't even find love. And like, he starts pointing out people in the the sort of wedding guest audience, like, like that, like fat guy over there and like the woman with the sideburns and everybody at table nine. And then he takes, goes from this and he goes into a rendition of Love Stinks, where he gets all those people he just mentioned to help him sing the song. And I think like, so there is like fat shaming in this scene and there is elsewhere in the movie too. And kind of like just appearance shaming in general. But like when I saw the movie, like I also related to those people that he pointed out, you know, as kind of like the losers. Cause like until I was like 18, I was kind of considered a nerd and people, well, not kind of, I was. And people at school would just call me ugly, right? To my face. And I wasn't considered dateable. So I related to those characters too. There's like a certain truth that like in our society, a lot of dating is based on really superficial factors. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. And especially especially now um, with I mean, I know this took place a long time ago, but I mean, now I think it's worse with like the Instagram filters and, you know, Tinder. The whole, <laughs> yeah, like where people are, are literally like altering what they look like in order for other people that they may or may not even know to like them or follow them or support them. Yeah. And like Tinder being the most popular kind of, I think it's the most popular dating site. And like so much of that is just your picture. Like, you know, there's not a lot of writing involved or like, you know, knowledge of somebody. So it's like, it's all based on this like appearance thing. It might be even worse than when you met people in person, you know, you kind of got a sense of their Mm -hmm. vibe at least that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so this, so this scene, like, you know, while some people might be like, well, this is like, you know, making fun of people, but I think he's like, Robbie, the character is also trying to support these people and, you know, kind of loser power in a way. I don't know. Like the people who are, he's calling out for the song seem excited to sing this song with him. Yeah. They're like, yeah, the Cyburns lady is like, yeah, I know it sucks being a Cyburns lady. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't find this offensive or I don't I don't think people would, but um people just- are, I feel like there's a lot of sensitivity especially around like and like this isn't the only time somebody's shamed for being fat in the movie. Like in the opening scene there's a small edit where you see this like fat woman like literally taking a piece of the wedding cake and putting it in her mouth like with her hand. So it's like it's definitely like, you know, wouldn't be tasteful today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is like more blatant than some of the stuff in Love Actually, even. Well, maybe not. Yeah. Love Actually ties with this. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, you kind of also expect that kind of thing from these kind of like more dude comedy movies as well. So I don't know. Maybe it seems more in place here. Right. So this whole performance of Love Stinks, which is fantastic, by the way, like all of Adam Sandler's songs in this, I really like. Um, 
after this, the bride or the groom's father punches Robbie out. And he's, he's just really angry that his kid's wedding is ruined. And later, we, Julia finds Robbie lying in a dumpster because, of course, <laughs> how did he get in the dumpster? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that where you go when you're depressed? You just <laughs> yeah. put yourself in a dumpster. <laughs> yeah. Well, film's such a visual medium. You know, like, it's interesting. Things that we take for granted in film, like these symbolic things, like being in a dumpster, like, if we really think about them too long, they kind of fall apart, you know? Yeah. 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 So after this disastrous appearance, um, we see him babysitting his nephews and there's lots of little eighties references in, in this scene. Like uh, the brother-in-law is talking about how somebody shot JR on Dallas. There's a Dunkin' Donuts commercial and the kids come up to Robbie and ask him questions based on what they've overheard from the adults in their life. They said, is it true you're in the middle of a nervous breakdown? And the other kid goes, nervous breakdown, nervous breakdown. And the other kids, are you going to the mental institution? And the other kid goes, cuckoo's nest, cuckoo's nest. <laughs> and I laughed my ass off at this. I'm sorry. Like I laughed at it when it came out. I laughed at it now. Like people would definitely say this is stigmatizing towards mental health now, but like I had what I consider to be like at least a partial nervous breakdown. I was li literally living in my uncle's attic for a while, like not my sister's basement. I don't have a sister or who has a basement. My brother doesn't have one either as far as I know, but I was living uh -huh. in my uncle's attic for like a year because like I would, my anxiety had gotten so bad that I had to take a break from life. So I have had a breakdown and I found this hysterical because when you're in that position, when you're like, kind of like in a mental health crisis, people do talk about you and you do wonder like, what are people saying about you and how do people perceive you? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like his breakdown here is much more minor than mine was. And like, I think there's just like a truth to it. Like, and you almost have to laugh at it, you know, once you've recovered from it and be like, well, I, I did some weird human stuff, man. I had a hard time in my life and I had to like, you know, be this like cliche or whatever. And I like the way that kids always say the things that adults never say too. I think that's where the <laughs> yeah. humor comes from in the situation. Like you right. can always get kids to tell you the truth. Right. So like Robbie feels really down about, you know, quote, living in his sister's basement and not being successful and Linda leaving him because of this and whatever. But the funny thing is that I learned, and I don't know if it was the same way in the 80s or the late 90s, but these days you can actually make a decent living off of being a wedding singer. Like you were saying, your friend performs at weddings who does well. Um, mm -hmm. And like some of the salaries listed weren't super big, but like if you were doing other work, you could probably supplement that. So mm -hmm. I read a 2015 article called Confessions of a Wedding Singer from a Baltimore-based professional wedding singer named Rachel Ann Warren. And in her article, she said, singers can expect to make a base pay of between $300 to $450 per gig. This roughly seems to match information I got elsewhere, which said a wedding band usually works for no less than $1,500 a gig and can be paid as much as $15,000 a gig. And the wedding singer in this article... Rachel Ann Warren, she said that if you bring your own sound equipment, you can make more, you can make double that. And if you do other work like emceeing, like Robbie does, or playing an instrument, you can make more still. And sometimes she makes more for travel or like for staying at a destination for longer. So yeah, like you can actually make a pretty fair amount. And you can also make tips as well and receive free meals. Warren said that she also performs at other events, including corporate events, and, but she says that it's like not super easy to be a wedding singer. Like there's a lot of prep work. She said, quote, 
You'll spend a lot of time in your bedroom singing karaoke on YouTube to your cat, hoping your neighbors really love your voice and Adele's songs because they'll be hearing a lot of it while you learn. And she said, she also pointed out, you need a lot of stamina. You need to be able to sing for like three hours, like maybe alternating with another singer in the band, but still that's a lot of singing. So you need a lot of lung power. And so like, that sounded like, it sounded like it's a gig that works for her. Like it, like it's a lot of weekends, a lot of nights, but like she really loves singing. So performing is worth it to her. So I guess also a bunch of famous singers started out as wedding singers. And those include John Legend, Idina Menzel, Taylor Dane, Michael Buble, and the blues singer Susan Tedeschi. So, you know, maybe Robbie will yet become a famous singer in his cinematic world. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, the next scene we're going to talk about is Julia's engagement party. Um, it takes place at Glenn's house, and you can clearly see that he is well off. They have a nice big house. It It's very white and oh, 80s yeah. on the inside. <laughs> It has like one of those like big staircases. It, it's very fancy. And I guess the only other house that we really saw was Robbie's sister's house, which looked very suburban, normal, middle class. So this is and, like kind and of And Rosie's house. Yeah, oh, yeah. And Rosie's house. We see Glenn talking to his friend, clearly not that excited about getting married. And Glenn is in his usual attire of the Miami Vice fashion at the time which is like a white suit a coral t-shirt and he there's a scene where he convinces julia to take care of all the wedding arrangements which kind of makes him seem like a like a jerk like obviously he just isn't as invested in this wedding as julia is and that's made obvious um and then sammy comes in with a a michael jackson (laughs) jacket and glove like the red the red jacket that he wore is is it beat it is that the is that the video Um, where he's wearing where he's wearing the the red jacket i don't remember the exact jacket i feel like i've seen i've seen him in it or maybe thriller it was it was thriller yeah i think anyways I, I i feel like i saw him wearing that jacket more than once but i might be wrong yeah yeah um, and then Sammy hits on Julia and Robbie tells Julia what Sammy said previously when they were working together that, you know, she was going to get it and she didn't even know it yet. I actually like that scene kind yeah. of a lot because it, it felt very chummy and it kind of made like what a kind of a gross statement into something that wasn't like more innocent, you know, like yeah. not that big of a deal, just kind of like a funny joke. I like that Robbie and Julia gang up on Sammy and they kind of create their own team and they laugh at him. Yeah. And they kind of yeah. walks off like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just feel like that already builds like their flirtation then too. Like they're like, you know, they're so, they seem close right away. They seem like they're in on the same jokes. They seem like they're on the same team. And yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt the chemistry. And you, and you don't, and you don't really see that same kind of interaction with her and Glenn. Oh, no. No, not at all. all. Or him and Linda, for that matter. Although him and Linda was in a very, you know, bad situation. So maybe him and Linda had a great relationship. I don't think so, but maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like we go to then to the bar mitzvah scene. And so one interesting thing I read when I was looking for articles about the wedding singer is a author named Jane Godiner wrote something called The Wedding Singer Was Tremendously Jewish. And I hadn't really thought about the wedding singer that way before. But when I really think about it, um, this bar mitzvah scene probably was one of the sort of more like mainstream depictions that I ever saw of Jewish culture, like when I was younger. 
So the author said she was 11 when she saw the movie and said, outside of my extended family, the first person that I ever heard say the words Mazel Tov was Adam Sandler. And she said, it wasn't just the bar mitzvah scene. Rather, it was everything about Robbie's world, from his thick curly hair to his doting, often inappropriate neighbor, to the luxurious amounts of self-pity and lamentation throughout the film. To my sixth grade self, everything about the movie screamed Jewish. And of course, Adam Sandler is himself Jewish. He also did that Hanukkah song for Saturday Night Live. And like, I think he probably did bring a lot of awareness of Jewish culture. Although I think I grew up watching like Mel Brooks movies too. And like my parents watch Woody Allen movies. So it didn't seem that novel to me, but like, you know, not everybody was watching those, but everybody was watching Adam Sandler at a certain point. And the author of this article says she has used the movie, The Wedding Singer to show her non-Jewish friends aspects of Jewish culture and that the movie remains really important to her for making her feel at home. And in the scene itself, the bar mitzvah scene, he's singing a song. I couldn't find the exact name of it. It just was listed as Mazel Tov on YouTube. I probably could have looked in the credits, sorry. But like he's singing a song that has the words Mazel Tov in it for this kid's bar mitzvah. After he's done with that, he goes and talks to this like little kind of like fat freckled kid who is sad because girls have rejected him and called him a loser. So Robbie's solution is he sets up a contest where Julia is going to pick the coolest, most unlosery guy in the bunch to dance with. And he kind of puts the fix in for Julia to pick this kid. So the scene is, so when Julia picks um, the quote unquote loser kid to dance with her, they're dancing and it's, you know, it starts out kind of being like a, your typical like middle school dance where their like hands are on each other's shoulders, you know? And then at one point he moves his hand down to her butt and then is touching her butt. And then she looks over at Robbie, like, what am I supposed to do? And then he goes, just go with it. And then I guess in order to make this, the, the moment, not as uh, awkward, then everyone gets on the dance floor and starts like dancing, touching each other's butts, including Robbie who picks up a, a girl a young girl and puts her hands on his butt. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a strange. <laughs> yeah. And it was strange I, in 1998. When I saw it in 1998, this was like my least favorite part. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It just didn't age well. And like, I don't know. Yeah. I like the song he's singing. He's singing the song. That's all, which is an older song from 1952, like first recorded by Nat King Cole. It's really romantic. And he's like looking at Julia while he sings this romantic song, but then it's offset by this like small kids touching butts, like touching adults' butts, and like <laughs> and and also just like the yeah. harassment of like the little boy grabbing Drew Barrymore's butt in the first place. Like I don't want a little like thirteen year old touching my butt. Like no, right? No, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, it's. It, I don't know. It was like I was. I'm sure it was intended very innocently and wholesomely, but like. I didn't like it then. I don't really like it now. I feel like I wish they would have done something else to make the scene funny or just let it be romantic. I don't know. Yeah. What, yeah. What could they have done to have made that scene different? Just, just have her like her and Robbie, like gazing at each other while he's singing the song, even though she's dancing with this kid. Yeah. I mean, that would have just been a romantic moment. It wouldn't have been a comic moment, but like you could let a romantic moment sit. I feel, I don't know. This is put in for the people who don't want too much sweetness in the movie, I think. (laughs) 
Oh, there is one really funny part. Like during when um, Adam Sandler gets stopped singing and then George is taking over on instruments and then you see George playing the clarinet (laughs) and then the trombone. So it's like George does everything basically. That was awesome. He's (laughs) multi-talented. Yeah. So, and then after this kind of like awkward dance scene, uh, Julia asks Robbie for help in planning her wedding, which leads us into like a bunch of little scenes and then a montage. So, yeah. So, yeah, then we kind of go into Julia's wedding planning and there's a bunch of really cute scenes. Um, and all, obviously all of this stuff seems very typical of what you would do with the person you're getting married with. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously Glenn has said that he doesn't want any part of this. So, she's chosen Robbie to tag along with her to all these like different appointments. So one of them is going to the wedding photographer and the, the photographer says to them, you two look truly happy. You're going to make it, you know, cause yeah. obviously she sees a lot of different couples and I, that's a kind of a good scene too, because they just kind of smile and laugh, you know, like they say that they're brother and sister. Yeah. They're like, actually, we're brother and sister. That's why we're so close. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's like again, like you said, they're already kind of have their own little, their own little jokes and their own little like inside jests. Uh, another scene we see, we see um, a, a rival wedding singer, which is played by John Lovitz, <laughs> and he's he's singing "Ladies' Night" in a very sleazy way. Um, <laughs> And then he says, you know, that ain't no sock in my crotch. And it's, it's a very like over the top, very opposite of like kind of the sweet. I don't know. How do you, how would you describe Robbie in like the way he like is know. a wedding singer? He just brings people together. Yeah. He's sweet. He like is yeah. all about love. And this guy is like, I don't know. He should be performing <laughs> at a strip club in hell or something. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so while they're they're auditioning for this guy, there, there's a few sweet moments between them. At this point, Julia asks Robbie how he became a wedding singer. And he said he did it until his music career took off and he actually just wanted to be a songwriter. And then she asks him, have you written anything lately? And then he's like, well, actually... <laughs> So he he gets up and does his uh, rendition of a half-written song that he made when he was with Linda and then when he broke up with Linda. So it has kind of two different aspects to it. It's a very memorable scene. um, And it's called Somebody Kill Me. And it was written by Adam Sandler and Tim Herlihy. Did you want to go into these lyrics? I mean, I can do some of it. Like, this is more from the end of the way. Like, the first part of the song is, like, kind of love lyrics. But by the end of the song, it's all, like, about somebody leaving them. And it's like, I'll try I'll try to do the end part. I hope you're glad with what you've done to me. I lay in bed all day long feeling melancholy. You left me here all alone tears running constantly and then he gets really loud oh somebody kill me please somebody kill me please i'm on my knees pretty pretty please kill me i want to die put a bullet in my head 
pretty good. <laughs> He's playing wow. his guitar the whole time. You know, this song is burned <laughs> into my memory. Like I can, I could probably do the whole song if I wanted to. I'm sure my upstairs roommate is like, "What the hell happened to Jen?" <laughs> <laughs> right. I was just going to say, I'm like, what are your neighbors thinking? They're like, what is she singing down there? <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> anyway, yeah. This is a pretty intense song. And I read that, like, they they didn't show Drew Barrymore the lyrics to these songs or perform them in front of her until she was actually performing on the day with him. So she oh, had, really? like, a, she could have a more natural reaction. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, and that's when you. You see John Lovitz in like behind a curtain. The scene is so funny. Yes. He's like, he's losing his mind and I'm reaping all the benefits. Like like he's some sort of like villain or something. Yeah. And then the curtain closes very slowly in front of his face after he says that. Yeah. Lee and I will quote that line all the time. Like just for no reason. There's not really good occasions to use it, but we'll quote it anyway. So yeah, later... Um, Later, Robbie tells Julia about his relationship with Linda and about the time they were on a plane flying by the Grand Canyon and Linda wouldn't give Robbie the window seat, even though she'd been there before. So that was kind of telling of like what a selfish person Linda is, you know. Do you believe in these small indications about people? Do you think you can read about like know more about their personality from these small gestures? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 100, 100%. Th- those are the little gestures are like what relationships are made of. That's yeah. very deep. I like that. Moving on. Julia says, I always just envisioned the right one being someone I could imagine myself growing old with. So we're kind of getting like an idea of like what they're both wanting in a relationship. You yeah. Know? So then we're we're going to a wedding prep montage. Um, that's the song playing is "You Make My Dreams Come True" by Hall and Oates. So you know everyone's included. We see Sammy, Holly, George with Rosie, and then there there's a pretty funny scene where we see a Sammy, which is a a limo driver. I guess that's his profession. Um, and they're making him drive an, an obstacle course like as a prank. And they, and they even have like the fake, the fake bride and groom. That, like, yeah. I don't know. Are they supposed to be late or something? I like, don't know. What? Yeah. For some reason, he's carrying this fake bride and groom and picking them up and putting them in the back of the limo. Like, why? <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah, and there's like all these cones set up and then like and they're pretending that he didn't do a good enough job and everything. And, like, and Julia's like, well, I'm going to hire him anyway. And, he's, and Robbie's like, no, but it's fun or something. And he yeah. comes up and like they're shaking his their heads at him and is like you ran over a cone and and the guy said it was a cone. He <laughs> and I just lost it last night when we rewatched. Oh really? Oh really? He does say like, what if that was a guest at the wedding? It was a cone. He's like, it was a cone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I find that so hilarious. That actor Alan Covert, he's really funny too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this also the scene where we see the the wedding dress scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I really, I really like that scene because I like that scene too because they have a, a part where George is. They all have take a turn like trying on the dresses, you know, and then George comes out wearing a dress, and they're like, "Yes, that one." Yeah, I love that. Scene. Yeah, it's very yeah. happy. Like George, George gets a little moment. Yeah, with the dress. Yeah, yeah, nice. it's a good scene. And we figure out now that the wedding is a week from the day that day. Um, Sammy and Robbie are driving together 
And because Robbie is noticing so much about Julia, like he's really, he's talking about Julia, like somebody he's like noticing very much and cares very much about. And that's when Sammy figures out that Robbie's in love with her. Robbie hasn't quite figured it out yet. I don't think though. No, you don't think? I don't think he's quite figured it out that he's in love with her yet. You know, because oh, she's okay. engaged and he's not thinking of her as, as possible. You know what I mean? Yeah. Her, yeah. His, her, his friend has figured it out first. Right, right. So, like, Robbie goes to return this jacket, this denim jacket, and walks into a conversation that Holly and Julia are having about what kind of kiss you should have at your wedding. And, ho- like, Holly thinks you should use some tongue and Julia is not sure. And so I'm going to play a clip of this scene that Robbie walks into and becomes part of. Hi. You forgot your jacket in the limo. Thank you for bringing it back. That's so nice of you. Yeah, it was. Okay. I'll see you later, all right? Have fun today. Hey, wait, wait a second. Maybe, maybe he can help us. You're the expert on this. We were just having a debate about wedding kisses. I say that it's okay for it to be an open mouth Yes. And I say that it's the type of occasion where people dress up so it's not appropriate. I see. But what do you want to do? I mean, thin, tight mouth and it's over? No. Thin, partially opened, no tongues over. No tongue, please. God, there's got to be a little tongue. Well, maybe a little tongue. Not porno tongue. Church tongue. Church tongue, I like that. <laughs> Church tongue? What? What is that? I don't know how to describe it. Well, show me. Not not on me. Hey, how about on him? You don't mind, do you? Uh, uh, Come on, just hold still. Julia, go ahead. (laughs) Come on, we're all adults here. I'm going to have to see it if I'm going to make an educated decision. Well, if it's for educational purposes. Good, okay. All right, you ready? I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. do that at the wedding. I gave her the jacket. Hey, Jules. Hey, Holly. Hey. Hey. I kissed her, but it didn't mean anything. I just brought her the jacket. Kissed who? Oh, me. Who hasn't? I like that scene a lot. <laughs> I think yeah. the, the force to kiss somebody that like you know the audience like knows that you're in love but you haven't figured it out yet that force to kiss trope i think can work really well when it's done right and it's done really well i think in this movie kind of a plausible reason for them to kiss and like the kiss itself is really good you couldn't see it obviously on the podcast the music helps it along a little bit too but kind yeah, of, and i yeah. didn't realize what the song was that they're playing yeah yeah, yeah that i was listening to it i was like oh 
okay. Some song that will come up later. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think about the, this kiss scene? Is it in the terms of kiss scenes and rom-coms in general? Is it a top one for you? Because it's a top one for me. Like it's one of the top it- rom For me, it's one of the top rom-com kisses. I just can't get over the plausibility of them kissing Hmm. for that reason. Like, why would you need to kiss your friend in order to, like, show how much tongue you would be using for your wedding kiss? (laughs) Well, for me, it's just... You know what I mean? Like... For me, it's, it's just like as plausible as any other, you know, movie where people end up being forced to kiss each other. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's it's a trope that I'm not like a huge fan of because I just feel okay. like those, moment, those moments don't like really exist. Also, well, okay. But I feel like when I was young, like in my 20s and late teens, a lot of my friends and I kissed each other. I've kissed friends that I had no actual interest in. Just for to kiss, basically, just for fun. I mean, think about something like spin the bottle too. Like people are kissing, people are kissing everybody. It it really depends on the person, but I think there's some people, and Holly would probably be one of them who thinks of it as no big deal. And so she's like, "Well, why don't you guys just kiss each other? Come on, what's the big deal here?" Right, right, okay, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just seems weird because like she's getting married. Yeah. Wow. And then and then. You know, later we kind of talk, we talk about Glenn's other behaviors, you know, mm. and I'm like, well, where's the line? Oh, so to, to you, it feels sort of like cheating, like in this context. Yeah. Yeah. yeah see, like, yeah, to me, like, it feels very innocent for both of them. Like, it feels to me more akin to like when people are practicing kissing when they're in middle school so they can be ready to go on a date or something like that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it's because they're both drawn as such innocent characters too yeah but yeah like i i really like the scene it works for me i think drew barrymore and adam sandler have really good chemistry in the scene and and it's a great moment of clarifying to like kind of both of them that something else is going on between them because like they haven't really been forced to deal with it they haven't really been forced to confront the idea of kissing each other yet and like you see even in their hesitation to kiss that like they know that it would mean something you know yeah Anyway, playing with fire. <laughs> yeah, but right, sometimes go it's good, sometimes it's good to play with fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the not playing with fire in this part in this case would mean like uh, just keeping the status quo with with Glenn there. So yeah, true, true. So because of this kiss, Holly's really impressed by it and decides that she doesn't realize that Robbie and Julie are in love with each other. Instead, she decides that she's into Robbie. So. You next see Robbie and Holly together and Julia and Glenn together on a double date. Holly is dressed up like Madonna in this scene, like total Madonna outfit. I would have killed for that when I was six years old. Julia is obviously depressed, getting drunk. Robbie's not really into it. Glenn just thinks everything's hunky-dory. Holly's trying to seduce Robbie. It's a really, really awkward double date. So yeah, Julia's got a little too drunk. So Julia and Holly go off together And we see Glenn and Robbie get a chance to talk. And we find out a number of things about Glenn. First of all, we find out his last name is Gulia. So Julia's name will be Julia Gulia. (laughs) Right. Which, as we see in the trailer, Glenn does not see what's humorous about it, which is hilarious. 
And then instead of Glenn saying he's really in love with Julia, he says she has paid her dues. And then sort of Robbie sort of almost entraps Glenn at this point. Like Robbie notices that Glenn's been looking at the waitress who's been bending over a lot and kind of gets her to talk about the waitress. He calls the waitress's ass grade A top choice meat. Through some further questioning, Robbie ends up getting Glenn to admit to cheating on Julia and recently and then admit that he will keep cheating on Julia after the wedding. So, like, you'd have to be so dumb to admit this stuff. Either that or you'd have to be the kind of dude who assumes that all dudes cheat on people. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of dude Glenn is. Yeah, so basically now we know that Glenn is a total asshole. At this point, the one quibble I have with this movie now is that if I found this out about, like, a good friend of mine and their fiancé, I would tell Mm -hmm. them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know it puts you in a really bad position, but like, like where like maybe the person that you tell isn't going to be very thankful to you for telling them, but just Correct. even as like a service to that friend, like, I think they have a right to know, like, mm. I wouldn't want to be married to somebody who is deceiving me, like, and, and with such regularity and casualness, like, it's like dangerous to your health, like, as well as your emotional state. Like, what do you think? Like, Hmm, that's, yeah, that's a hard one. That's a slippery slope. I think, to be honest, no. Really? I don't think I I would tell someone. Well, yeah. like, even if, even if, like, you had no loyalty to the person who was cheating and all your loyalty was to the person they were cheating on, like, because, like, Robbie doesn't really have any reason to feel loyalty to Glenn. Like, he's only friends with Julia. Right. Um, no, I don't think I would. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I would. I would want someone to tell me is basically what yeah. I would. would you want somebody to tell you? I don't know. I it's, it's mostly from like experience of like what I've seen that happens with that. I think deep down people usually know hmm. that this kind of thing is happening and it's like they're not really like ready to address it. So it ends up like kind of like stirring up a lot of stuff that is it necessarily like a good thing hmm. if that makes sense you know what i mean yeah for for me i guess i'm just like i prefer like honesty like and i prefer openness so like i would rather know about something and so i would treat other people the same way even if it ended up getting you know turned on me like i feel like yeah i would still act in that way but yeah like yeah. but robbie's really torn up about it because he wants julia to be happy you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so Julia is not happy right now. She's just really drunk outside the club. Um, Robbie's sort of standing with her while Glenn pulls around with his DeLorean car, like the Back to the Future car. Right. And and he opens up his door and inside he's playing the Miami Vice music (laughs) because he has one Mm -hmm. character trait. Um, Right. And they put Julia into the car and they drive off. Meanwhile, back at... um, Holly's house I think yeah Robbie's dropping her off and she's really trying to seduce him and she says if you come upstairs you're going to get laid which I have nothing but respect for Holly putting it out there you know like not playing games go Holly right (laughs) but Holly does not get what she wants instead she figures out from the way Robbie's talking that he is in love with Julia and yep. she, and then she gives like a kind of mistaken impression of like Julia's motivations for marrying Glenn. She says that Julia is marrying him because money and security are important to her. And in fact, they're important to all people. Like 
Do you think it's a deliberate mischaracterization? Do you think it's a correct characterization? Like, what do you think? Um, I do think that there's probably some truth to that. You know. Glenn and Julia never made any sense to me in this movie, so I can't even figure out why. Yeah, it is important. Like, those aspects are important. Like, security, money, like, and that that's like a real thing and he has a house and he has things you know she definitely has pressure from her mother to like marry in that way like earlier in the mm-hmm, movie we mm-hmm. see her mother pressuring her about that but like i never right. really understood julie and glenn together as a couple like at all like how did they even get together in the first place how did they even meet i don't know and he, he says at one point that she met him before he made money so in any case like um this gives Robbie an impression of Julia that she's just like very materialistic and Julia goes over to give Robbie a gift, but he's in town trying to get a job at a bank. And there's this little cameo by Kevin Nealon as the bank manager. He's doing like <laughs> the worst job interview ever. And Robbie comes back from this failure to get a job and is, he's kind of pissed at Julia for caring about money. And Julia is in turn pissed at him for thinking that she's marrying Glenn just for money. And rather than explaining the misunderstanding, Julia sort of storms off and she leaves behind the present she had brought for him, which was like musical writing paper that says words and music by Robbie Hart at the top, which is a pretty nice gift, I think. So like before we get into the spoiler section, we're going to get into the spoiler section after this. I wanted to talk a little bit about fashion in the movie so that people who don't want to listen to spoilers can still hear about it. So the costume designer for this movie was Mona May. Um, She worked on Clueless, which we've previously covered. And she also worked on Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, in addition to a number of other movies. And what I found interesting was this time watching the movie, I really noticed that Drew Barrymore does not look 80s. Everybody else in the movie looks very 80s and Drew Barrymore really doesn't. And apparently this was purposeful. Um, Mona May told Interview Magazine, we wanted the clothes, Julia's clothes, to reflect this very cool, artsy person. She doesn't follow trends. She's not doing any of the crazy 80s stuff. She has her own more grungy look, so we used a lot of vintage dresses with boots. All of the colors she wears are more classic. Drew really wanted to wear the gold and black choker, and she wanted to repeat the jewelry. It's a statement piece. So I think that kind of works to make her character stand out from the other characters. What do you think? Yeah, she does have more of like a classic look in the movie even just the way she wears her hair you know yeah that kind of short straight bob yeah Mm -hmm. it makes Mm -hmm. her kind of seem more innocent i think in a way but robbie Mm -hmm. does have like an 80s look so julie is like literally like the only person well i guess rosie isn't very (laughs) 80s either but (laughs) she's like a little rosie yeah that's a good that's a good comparison because you know they're showing because that's ultimately what robbie wants is or what they both want is to grow old with their significant other and have that sort of like longevity longevity. Yeah. Where they're like, he, she's still trying to like sing to her husband and trying to surprise him, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That does work. All right. I am smart. Yeah. <laughs> so like talking about the fashion in the movie though, I just wanted to do a really quick eighties um, fashion rundown of things we see in the movie. And I want you to say, like, whether you would keep this fashion or toss it. Like, is it a fashion that we like or we don't like? So first we have Robbie's curly sort of mullet hairstyle. Keep or toss? Hate it. Hate it? I like it. I wor- it works for me. I would actually keep it. I think Adam Sandler's cute in this. 
Okay. Do you mean like like now or like in the movie? Like it's fine in the movie, but you mean like forever or you mean like what do you mean? I, okay, so I mean like do you think it works? Like and like if he, if somebody were wearing it like if if the person yeah, if the person were wearing it now in real life, do you think it works for them or not? No. Okay, so you know, I'm yes on Robbie's hairstyle. Okay, next one. Okay. Robbie's bright blue suit jacket in the first scene. Keep her toss. No. I'm also like the suit jacket, so we're, we're, we're disagreeing two for two so far. Okay, <laughs> next one. So the bride at the first wedding's big hair and her like little white headband wedding accessory. <laughs> so 80s. Um, see, can I, can I keep the headband, toss the hair? Okay, that's, that's fine. Okay, I, I'm gonna keep both of them. <laughs> I like it. I feel it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling like the '80s is coming back. Like I feel we're ready for the big hair and the headband. I personally wouldn't want to have to do that much work on my hair, but if somebody else wanted to do it, I admire. I admire their commitment. Okay, yeah. Sammy's red Michael Jackson jacket and glove. Um, I like it. Okay, now we're all disagreeing because I'm gonna toss that. <laughs> I'm going to say, unless you are Michael Jackson or impersonating Michael Jackson, we are, we are ditching that. <laughs> okay, Glenn's Miami Vice outfit. Um, I like it. I like it. <laughs> and I'm tossing that too. Okay, I'm tossing that with the caveat that like, okay, I'm tossing that with the exception that if somebody was like a genuinely good person, like, or like who wasn't a jerk, they could maybe pull it off. Like maybe the guy, the guy who plays Robbie on Cobra Kai, he could probably pull it off. I can't remember his name right now, but the actor who plays Robbie on Cobra Kai, the young guy, I think he could wear that. But like on a guy like Glenn, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done with it. Okay. Holly's Madonna outfit. Uh, yeah, I like that. Okay. And I'm going to say a modified response. I think her particular Madonna outfit is too much. I would keep definite aspects of it and put them into other outfits, but I would not wear the full Madonna outfit anymore. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And George's boy George outfit. Yes. Yeah. I'm keeping that too. We agree on one. Okay. We agree on George. I agree on all George's fashion in the movie. I'm good with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Same. Yep. Same. Okay, cool. And I'm good with Mona May. I think Mona May did a fantastic job with the costumes for this movie. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Like she's, she's an iconic um, fashion designer, I think at this point with Clueless and this under her belt. And then she went on to work on Drew Barrymore's Never Been Kissed as well. So mm. shout out to her. So now we're going to begin the spoilers section. So if you haven't seen the movie, it is now time to jump out and yeah, we'll continue talking about it. So Robbie's now like really sad about Julia. Like he's depressed. Like he's, he knows he's in love with her and she's marrying Glenn and he doesn't know what to do. And he goes to the bar and he's got his heart broken and Sammy's at the bar in his Michael Jackson outfit. And there's also this like really old man in the bar who contributes to the comedy of the scene. And basically Robbie goes to Sammy, you were right all along. Like, don't get involved with women. Like they just break your heart from now on. I'm going to be like you. I'm just going to like have these like brief affairs with women and not let not care about any of them. And we're going to be happy for the rest of our life. And then Sammy admits to Robbie he is not happy living the way he does, that he's miserable. He says, I grew up idolizing guys like Fonzie because they got a lot of chicks. And then he says, like, basically, do you know what happened to their careers? Like they, their movies got canceled. Their shows got canceled. And he says, 
because no one wants to see a 50-year-old guy hitting on chicks. And then Sammy finishes by saying, all I really want is someone to hold me and tell me everything is going to be all right. And after that, the old guy hugs him and says, everything is going to be all right. (laughs) And it's kind of, I, I find this scene very sweet. And I like, I like that it's a scene between guys, like admitting that like, you know, love hurts and it can cause you to be distant from people. But really in the end, we, we all do want a connection with people. I thought it was a mm-hmm. nice scene to have between mm-hmm. these, these guys in this bar. It's what you hope guys really think anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how realistic that is, but I think it's, I think it's realistic for like Adam Sandler and his co-writers though. Cause I've seen them quoted about like, like that a lot of guys want love, but they're just afraid like of being hurt. Yeah. Or they've been hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we see the next scene is um, Julia trying on her dress. And that's when we kind of see again uh, that Julia is in, sure she's in love with Glenn and she's kind of telling her mom this and her mom is like, no, you, you have to marry Glenn. Like this is, this is the right guy for you, um, which I think is kind of shitty, but I guess, I guess parents do this to their kids, right? And she, she just said, like, oh, you're getting cold feet. And, you know, I had cold feet, too, when I got married to your father, which was a huge mistake, <laughs> <laughs> which is also telling, you know what I mean? So yeah. funny. Um, so then Julia is she's trying on her dress and she's she's practicing her married name in the mirror. Um, first, she says her name as glens which is gulia so she introduced herself as julia gulia and this does not make her happy and then she introduced herself as mrs robbie hart and then you see her face light up and that's the right choice um so before this um we kind of we kind of jumped ahead before this at the bar scene we do see um robbie decides that he's gonna go tell julia how he feels yeah right so he's on his way to julia's and then as he's walking down the street he can see her in the window with her dress on and she's talking to herself in the mirror and she looks so happy and then that's he decides that like oh shit i can't I can't confess my undying love to her because she's about to get married and live her dream life, you know? Yeah. So then, so then he decides to not tell her how he feels, even though at that moment, she's actually practicing saying his name, you know, pretending that she's marrying him. So, you know, of course this is what rom-coms do. They kind of, yeah. Well, this, my lesson from this movie is shoot your shot, man. You don't know. You don't know what somebody's really thinking. Try, try right good for you (laughs) yep so yeah and then later so then robbie goes back to the bar and then this is when we see glenn with a bunch of women and this makes robbie upset obviously and he's like stop all this cheating shit moron she's a good girl meaning julia and then uh robbie gets punched out by glenn so yeah this is we know glenn's a piece of shit And now to further complicate the story, um, drunken Robbie returns to his house and Linda is waiting there all dolled up like she's about to go to the Skid Row concert. (laughs) And um, Linda has decided she wants Robbie back out of nowhere. And How Soon Is Now by the Smiths is playing over this. This is the first time I'd ever heard that song, which is just a great dark pop song. Yeah, yeah, it was. And then I became obsessed with that song. 
Um, anyway, yeah. Linda comes over and kind of like puts Robbie to bed because she wants to seduce him, but Robbie is in no shape. He just basically passes out. But Linda stays over and the next morning, um, Julia comes over and she's ready to tell Robbie how she feels, but instead she's greeted by Linda wearing Robbie's Van Halen t-shirt. And Linda basically implies that she has been sleeping with Robbie. She says that he's indisposed. He's in the shower. And Julia, of course, goes away very displeased. Um, Linda goes back down, wakes Robbie up, and he is not happy to see Linda. (laughs) He says, hey, psycho, I'm not going to feel better about this. It's over. Now please get out of my Van Halen t-shirt before you jinx the band and they break up. And the joke being, of course, that Van Halen did break up. They broke up actually in 1985, the year that this movie is set. So yeah, just a little nice 80s joke for people. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know. There's not much more to say about this scene other than we have just relied on a second misunderstanding to keep them apart from each other. Yep. The suspense, the suspense, (laughs) the the (laughs) buildup. What are they going to do? Um, so then, so this upsets Julia. So then Julia uh, runs to Glenn and is insistent that they get married right away. It seems like an odd, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't fully understand this logic. Well, this, is but- a, this is a thing that happens in a lot of these romances. Like when somebody like realize or thinks that they can't have what they want or they feel really bitter or upset, they're like, well, I'm just going to rush into this other thing. And it's going to make me happy. Like, it's a trope. You see it in a lot of rom-coms or romance novels. Yeah, because it it seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. I mean, I guess guess that's the point. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, why are you doing this? So, yes. So, she runs to Glenn and she insists that they get married right away and that they should get married in Vegas. Yeah. He's stoked. And then meanwhile, like Rosie's 50th anniversary party is going on and we see Rosie singing till there was you to her husband. It's really sweet. Very nicely done. Robbie is really moved and he realizes like he's got to go get Julia again after all. And then on his way out the door to do this, Holly tells Robbie that Julia is eloping to Vegas. So while we're transitioning out of that scene of Robbie running off with Holly and Sammy, Rosie is rapping to the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight and doing it very well, I might add. Apparently Mm -hmm. that actress did not know what rap music was when she was cast in the movie, but then she was able to get into the performance because she had a background in music and dance. And she does it like she'd been doing it forever, in my opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so Robbie, Holly, and Sammy all go together to the airport. Robbie starts writing a song that we're going to hear a little later in the movie. And Robbie convinces Sammy basically to buy him a ticket. The only one left is in first class. So he ends up in the first class section of the airplane. And we don't know this yet, but like we're going to find out that they're all on the same airplane, which my question is, why isn't Glenn in first class? Yeah, that that is a good question. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, he could be cheap. Yeah, I don't that's know. true. That's true. So Robbie's seat is in first class. We get our little first class moment of being like, ooh, this is nice. And we also then have the best cameo in the movie. Billy Idol is also on the plane. Um, For anyone who's like really young and doesn't know who Billy Idol is, he sang the song White Wedding that was also in the movie, sang the song Moni Moni, Rebel Yell, Rock the Cradle of Love, a lot of great Billy Idol songs. And he's got like kind of like a 
bleached blonde hairdo and kind of like a punk attitude. But his songs are, I think, more solidly rock songs. Do you think that's an accurate explanation of the yeah. title? Well, these are more solidly pop songs. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. They're very, they're very poppy. Well, Rebel Yell's um, not very poppy. I don't know. I don't okay. Know. It depends on one's definition, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I guess Billy Idol did the movie for his son because he, his son was an Adam Sandler fan. And he added that, I gained a number of diehard teenage fans through doing it who are adults now and are still turning up to my gigs. And I think that's pretty funny. Like, I, I think there probably are a lot of people who didn't know about Billy Idol until they saw this movie and they're like, oh, who's that guy? What's hilarious to me is that Billy Idol, like, doesn't age, right? <laughs> like, because, like, if this was supposed to be 1985 and it was already 1998, mm-hmm. like, so that's, you know... 14 years later or 13 years later you know so it's like he's the exact same person you know and it's so obvious i think the makeup helped but (laughs) and the voice he's got that distinctive voice i think that's probably like what did does it like the british accent and everything yeah so robbie's in first class and you see him talking to people about what he's doing on the plane like he's going to get this girl who's marrying the wrong guy who's a jerk and everyone in first class Here's Robbie's story, and they want to help him, maybe even especially Billy Idol. So I'm going to play now a clip of the people in first class banding together to help Robbie. He comes over to tell me how she feels, and Linda answers the door wearing nothing but my Van Halen t-shirt. No way. I don't know what to do. She's getting married, and he's going to ruin her life. Yeah, Lynn doesn't deserve her. All he cares about possessions. Fancy cars. CD players. Even women are possessions to him. See, Billy Idol gets it. I don't know why she doesn't get it. Oh, I hope you find her. You guys will not believe this. Some creeping coach who thinks he's Don Johnson just asked me to be part of the Mile High Club. He said I was grade A, top choice meat. Is he right in here? What's the Mile High Club? Oh my god, the Mile High guy is Glenn. They're on this plane. No way! You guys gotta help me. Right! Yeah! Good afternoon, everyone. We're flying at 26,000 feet, moving up to 30,000 feet. And we've got clear skies all the way to Las Vegas. And right now, we're bringing you some in-flight entertainment. One of our first-class passengers would like to sing you a song inspired by one of our coach passengers. And since we let our first-class passengers do pretty much whatever they want, here he is. I want to make you smile whenever you say Carry you around when your arthritis is bad All I want to do is cold with you I'll get your medicine when your tummy aches Build you a fire if the furnace breaks So it could be so nice growing old with you Cold when you are cold, me 
cut it there yeah so we <laughs> so we find out the amazing coincidence that they are all on the same plane together um robbie julia and glenn and um, billy idol gets to do quite a bit of work for a cameo i thought this was a really well deployed celebrity cameo because you need it in an 80s movie i think you needed one but it's not a throwaway he really works as a strong character in the last part of the movie yeah billy idol does a good job here um like I said, he does not age. I'm just going to go back to that. And I was blown away by like how good he looks. You say it's makeup. I say it's good genetics. Okay. But I was, I was <laughs> super surprised. I was like, wow, he looks so good. Um, considering that it would have been like 14 years later. So that was like my big takeaway yeah. of just how good Billy Idol looked in this. I like his just like typical Billy Idol, like, right. Like his, like the way of talking and everything. And like, even yeah. when he's doing the announcement, you see like Julia's kind of looking like uncertain for a moment. Like, is that Billy Idol? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. What do you think about the song? I want to grow old with you that Robbie is singing to Julia that he obviously wrote on the way over. I think it's really good. And I really, I was again, surprised at how good Adam Sandler's voice is. Like, I think he has, like, a pretty big range and that, I don't know, it almost didn't even sound like him. It is him, right? Yeah, it's all him, yeah. It is Adam Sandler. Yeah, like it, It's just, his his range is amazing um, in this. I, I like the song. I do. And I'm not particularly, like, a, a romantic person, but I thought the song was really sweet. I think like I appreciate the song more as I get older. Like when I was younger, I don't think I thought of it as the most romantic song, but like, as you do start to get older, you start to have like maybe a health problem pop up here and there. Like you realize the importance of being with someone who you can rely on, like for those like big and small things in life, like rely on to help you when you're sick, rely on to like, you know, just do those little thoughtful gestures. Like we were talking about before, like that isn't the stuff that necessarily a lot of romances are made of. A lot of romances are set when people are very young and passionate and they're not thinking about, you know, what if one of us is in the hospital, but like those things end up mattering so much when you're older. So you do definitely want to choose a partner who you can rely upon and who is that thoughtful like that. Did you think, how long have you been married? Um, Let's see. We've been married since 2009. Um, oh, okay. Which is what? That's like 13 years now. But like we were together yeah, since absolutely. 2004. And mm -hmm. but like I've mm -hmm. had health problems and Lee has been like just the best, most supportive partner like I could possibly imagine. Um, mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. so thoughtful and he has given me all these different proofs of like that his love is not conditional upon me being in some kind of optimal condition, you know, mm -hmm. like that he mm -hmm. loves like some essence of me that will you know, remain, I guess, unchanged in some ways as I get older. I mean, we can't promise that everything's going to remain unchanged either. Like, and, you know, mm -hmm. knock on wood, though, most of me will still be there. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. 
Like, I, I don't know. How do you feel as you get older, like in relationships, like does it, do your priorities change? Like, do you think, or has it, have you always been sort of practical in that sense? I don't know. I think it's just kind of like a, a work in progress. I don't really, I don't really know. Yeah. I guess, I guess it does. I do see the more practical aspects of it. I feel like I've always viewed like love and relationships in the more practical aspects anyways, even though like my hormones at the time weren't really aligned with that. But now that I'm older and that like I I'm kind of glad that that sort of part of me is like gone, you know, um, like I'm not quite as like amped up to like, you know, I see things as they like truly are. I, I don't think that part of me has gone, but it's tempered a little <laughs> with wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, tempered with wisdom is what, how I'll describe mine. I think I definitely still have a lot of teenage Jen in there, unfortunate, fortunately yeah. or unfortunately. I think sometimes it's fun, but yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So after he sings the song to Julia, he says he's in love with her. Like Glenn has been waylaid by Billy Idol and other passengers um, on his way to try to beat up Robbie. So Robbie and Julia are able to have a moment. Um, they say that they're in love with each other. We see them kiss. And then... Like this kiss is briefly interrupted by Billy Idol saying he's going to talk to the record companies about Robbie. So there's a suggestion of maybe a bright future for Robbie, even outside of this romance. And then the mm. kiss cuts to Robbie and Julia cut, kissing at their wedding. And Steve Buscemi is now the wedding singer. And he's singing, <laughs> I know this much is true, which is perfect yeah. for me. I'm like, oh, even Steve Buscemi's character gets a happy ending. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You get the sense that he's cleaned up his act and now he's got a new career or something. Although, where does that leave Robbie? I don't know. I guess he can't sing in his own wedding. That'd be weird. Um, and I guess yeah, maybe he that has would a, be weird. Maybe maybe he'll be a songwriter now instead of a wedding singer. Who can? Yeah, sing? I think that's I think that's what they are like alluding to that like his yeah. career path has changed. I think it's a perfect ending. You know, I like that. I like the symmetry of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's a I good like word. that they keep Symmetry. bringing back the same character. Yeah, they keep bringing back the same characters and use them in different ways, and they tie things up. I love it when a movie does that when they tie things up in almost like a seamless way that fits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on the movie before we turn to the soundtrack, or like, how did you, how do you like? What do you think of this last scene? Is it does this movie strike you as romantic? Like, yeah, it does. It does. I, I mean, maybe maybe it's because of the the characters are just so likable. It's like you want them to get together, and and I know you said this before. Like, they're they both are sort of portrayed innocently, and they they really pushed it that that Robbie really wanted to be married, you know, and that's not yeah. something that like you necessarily think of when you think of men like like men want to get married like not not really it seems like more of a what women want you know and men just kind of go along with it so but um, there are men out there like that too i've definitely oh yeah oh i know yeah Yeah, i know but i'm saying it's a movie for them it's a movie for those yeah exactly okay so let's then talk about the soundtrack so like i when I started researching for this movie, I pulled out my old wedding singer soundtrack and I hadn't played it in some time, but when I played it, I felt like I was like 
transported to my Hampshire College dorm room. I swear to God, I had like sense memories of being in there, listening to How Soon Is Now by the Smiths and just like luxuriating <laughs> in my own romantic drama at the time. And and like so many songs from there, I decided I would pick just like my five top favorite songs from the soundtrack. And so, and I'm going to ask you yours as well. So How Soon Is Now is one of them. It was the first time I'd heard that song. And it's just... Ah, uh, just such a great dark pop song. I don't know what else to say about it. If you have never heard it, you got to go play that right now on YouTube. Um, you Spin Me Round, I actually like Adam Sandler's version better than the original. Like when I hear that song wow. now, I hear Adam Sandler singing the lyrics and all his little inflections that he puts into it. I swear to God, I sang it in karaoke once and I ended up singing it like Adam Sandler instead of like the real song. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody to put clothes on the baby, but other than that. (laughs) (laughs) Then I really love Love My Way. And Love My Way also shows up in the movie Call Me By Your Name. And I love it in both the movies. It's definitely more iconic in Call Me By Your Name. Have you seen that? Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, and that's the scene where like Elio's looking at Oliver dancing on that um, piano. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're playing Love My Way in that one too. And Oliver's dancing. And like, yeah, that's such a good scene. But I love that song. I think this soundtrack was one of the first times. I mean, I heard it probably in the 80s, just ambiently, but it was the first time I really focused on it. And also Hold Me Now by the Thompson Twins. Same thing. I think it's the first time I really focused on that song and how great it was, was having it on that soundtrack. And then finally, my fifth favorite, it's just going to be a classic police song. Every little thing she does is magic. When I put that on the other day, like... I think that song had played too much for a while for me and I got bored with it. But when I heard it the other day, it was so fresh again and I was seriously dancing around the room and I was singing every last word of it. Lee and I were supposed to be on our way somewhere and I couldn't finish it until I, I couldn't leave until I'd finished every last bit of that song. I was like, yo, I was like, I was rocking out. So those are, those are my top five wedding singer soundtrack songs. Do we have any overlap or would you choose differently? Um, yeah, I do really like every little thing she does is magic. Um, I feel like, God, what it, I feel like Karen Carlson made me a mixtape with that song (laughs) on it. Um, so it has like a special meaning to me just because of that. But I do love the police anyways, like all of their music, like, ugh, so good. Um, so yeah, I would say that one. I really do love the song True by Spando Ballet, Mm. even though it was sung by, by Steve in this movie. I'll I'll actually like listen. I'll like pull that song up and like listen to it because oh, yeah. I like want to hear it because yeah. I I love that song so much. Um, I do really like the Cure reference. So Boys Don't Cry, yeah, was was a nice touch. I I went through a huge Cure phase there for a minute. Um, I also went through a huge Depeche Mode phase, oh. and they there is a moment of just can't get enough oh, is. Okay is in there as well. So mostly just because I, I just really loved those bands. Those were nostalgic for me. And then was there, yeah, All Night Long by Lionel Richie is a favorite of mine. I'll listen to that song on rotation. I don't know what my last one would be. There there's so there were so many good songs in this. Yeah. Maybe China Girl. Um just because I do love David Bowie so much. Even though you mostly hear the girl the two girls are singing it like in the club but it is like a really it's a really like sweet moment between them yeah it's not it's not my favorite david bowie song but i just like the david bowie reference in there yeah it's nice to hear bowie yeah 
Cool. Yeah. Now, these are great soundtracks. Like, um, you can still probably get them from your library or buy them. Or honestly, you can find it on YouTube as well. <laughs> so, like, find find the soundtrack. It's a really good uh, time. And I wish I'd known there was a second soundtrack when I was younger. Totally would have bought it, too. But the first yeah. one lives in my heart forever. It's definitely one of my dorm room hits. <laughs> Okay, so now we're going to get into finally our double feature recommendations. So my first double feature recommendations is another rom-com with an 80s element to it and with Drew Barrymore. And if you're a big Drew Barrymore fan, you have probably already guessed that this movie is Music and Lyrics starring Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant. And in this movie, Hugh Grant plays this like washed up 80s pop idol and the thing I love about this movie is that they make Hugh Grant such a realistic like music video and song that he does. That's like supposed to be this 80s song called pop goes my heart. And if you listen to this <laughs> yeah. song, it will get stuck in your head and you will not be able to get it out of your head. Like literally my favorite part in the whole movie is just watching Hugh Grant's music video, his fake, like, yeah, his fake 80s music yeah. video. But yeah. um, I also think that like he and Drew Barrymore have good chemistry in this movie she plays somebody who inadvertently turns out to be a really good lyricist and he's good at writing music and they need to write a song together to please this like 2000s era pop star. And yeah, it's a sweet story. I don't think she has as much chemistry with Grant as she does with um, Adam Sandler, but it's still really fun. You can't really go wrong with Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore together in a rom-com. And just again, mm -hmm. the 80s vibe. I love it. So that's my first choice. Yeah. So my first choice... I, I do think that the wedding singer was sort of like a renaissance moment for Drew Barrymore mm. um, because because I feel like after this, she was like in really great movies. I remember like specifically going to like see her movies, like to see Drew Barrymore. Um, and one of them was Never Been Kissed. There are some 80s throwback scenes in Never Been Kissed as well when she's like reliving some of her adolescence. I think it's a good movie because it it kind of shows like the underdog. Um, that's what I really loved about Never Been Kissed. And yeah, like I said, it was like, again, one of those Drew Barrymore movies that came during her like renaissance when all of a sudden she was in tons of rom-coms again. So my second choice is not with Drew Barrymore, but it is with Adam Sandler and it is a rom-com. It's a more recent um, rom-com of his. And I, I don't think it's as good as The Wedding Singer, like, honestly, not even close. However, it is a good, solid, rewatchable rom-com. It's called Just Go With It, and he stars in it opposite Jennifer Aniston. The setup in this movie is so convoluted, okay? Like, it's like something where he has to, he and Jennifer Aniston have to pretend to be a couple who is getting a divorce on a trip to Hawaii with, with also her kids there. It's so convoluted how this is set up. But for me, the strength of this movie is, number one, Jennifer Aniston is fantastic as a comic actress, too, and in rom-coms. Um, she and Sandler have really good chemistry with each other also. And it's set in Hawaii, so you get some kind of, like, nice, like, Hawaiian vistas and so forth. It's kind of one of those rom-coms I just put on if I just kind of want to space out and veg out and just, like, relax and watch something mildly funny and kind of romantic so I know that's not like a huge selling point for it but like sometimes you just want a rom-com like that and yeah I think it shows a little bit of a range of Sandler's rom-com work too and him with another leading lady you just sold me on like the Hawaii theme <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so the next 
movie I picked again is Drew Barrymore in the same sort of era was um, Ever After, a Cinderella story. I I want to say this was like one of the first movies I remember seeing that did the whole like retelling of a fairy tale story. I could be totally wrong. But it, it's just like in my like first memories of like, oh, that's like a thing. And you, you see that over and over again. It's a great movie. It's it's really sweet. Again, it has a lot of romance in it. There's a lot of funny parts in it. Drew Barrymore is amazing in it. Um, so yeah, that's Ever After. Yeah, I still need to see that. Sophia really likes that one too, I believe. So mm-hmm. yeah, two mm-hmm. recommendations. So my third and final choice is Blended. And Blended is the third rom-com that Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore did together. I saw it just the other day, actually. And it's like kind of less of a rom-com and more of a family comedy because a lot of the movie centers around um, blended families and also like the challenges of being a single parent. And so a lot of the comedy is related to the kids. And so it's kind of wholesome that way. There's like a lot of weird, wacky stuff that I don't think is actually particularly funny. Like there's monkeys playing instruments at one point. Like uh, it's Mm -hmm. not that funny, but like, you know, you just kind of expect some stuff like that. That's a little silly, but again, Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler still have really good chemistry. Some of the dialogue is good. I like how they're incorporating people getting older and the realities that go with being a parent who's trying to date as opposed to just being a young single person who's trying to date. And this movie is like partly set in Africa. I'm beginning to think that these days Adam Sandler just plans comedies around where he wants to travel. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So my final pick is called 50 First Dates. It's another Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore romantic comedy. It's a really interesting premise. It's about a woman who has short-term memory loss and her love interest so he has to continuously get her to fall in love with him again basically on like a daily basis and it's it seems very convoluted but actually ends up being very sweet in the end it takes place in hawaii it also stars sean astin (laughs) which is a a great co-character if you will in this movie yeah, it takes place in Hawaii and it has a lot of those like Hawaiian romantic vibes that I I really love. I'm actually going to Hawaii to a wedding in November. I'm really excited about. So I love Hawaii. I love Fun. islands in general. So, yep. Check this out. All right. Yeah, I, I feel like I've tried to watch the movie before and I didn't get into it, but I probably should give it a chance to watch the whole movie at one point. I just remember being kind of annoyed by yeah. the Rob Schneider character, but... <laughs> yeah yeah i can see that yeah but i'll give it another go it does have some more it has more of that like sticky comedy as well which i know a lot of people aren't like fans of like more like slapsticky yeah 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 that kind of comes with the territory on most adam sandler movies yeah not as much in the wedding (laughs) singer but yeah cool (laughs) right all right well thanks again for coming on again serena i mean honestly you're a co-host so whatever but like i do appreciate your (laughs) but i but i always appreciate your time and your insights and it's super a lot of fun and yeah so coming up next time after this we should be releasing my best friend's wedding and then future episodes are going to include things like imagine me and you the wedding planner the philadelphia story and more so stay tuned for that and just thanks for listening everybody goodbye
Bye.